Well, I want to thank Matt Reagan for the presentation he just gave us. It, uh, to me, was one of the best we've had on youth ministry. And uh, let's give him a, a, a round of applause for that. I just, uh, okay, for those listening online, we just pranked you. We're sorry. Uh, uh, my name is Jeff Walling, and I serve here at Pepperdine University in the Youth Leadership Initiative which is a project where we get to spend a little bit of Pepperdine's money on youth ministry and trying to help encourage young people, trying to support and resource uh, youth leaders. And so we're thankful that you're here. This class is part of a track of classes that I hope you are aware of. It began this morning with uh, Jack Williamson's uh, course on biblical uh, mentoring. Uh, and then we'll continue with uh, Matt, we're going to have lunch together, and I want to invite you to have lunch with us. It's in the fireside room just off of the main cafeteria. So if you go through the cafeteria, get your tray, get your stuff, and then come into the fireside room, uh, Mark Yarhouse, who is a, uh, a well-known author and done, has done a lot of writing about teen sexuality, is going to give a fantastic presentation to us over lunch. And the first 20 folks into the room will get a free copy signed of his book, seeing as we've got him there, to try and encourage folks to, to, uh, to go directly over and, uh, and grab a tray and get through the line and, and join us. Uh, we'll, we won't start until about 12.15 or so. Uh, but whether you get a book or not, I want to encourage you to come and sit because you're going to get a chance to meet more youth leaders from all across uh, California and literally from outside the country as well. How many folks from outside California are here? We are, and we're so glad to have you here. We apologize for this awful weather. Uh, it, it's, we've got some extra sweaters in, uh, in Lectureship Central if, you know, 60 degrees is freezing, yeah. Now we're, we're thankful to have you here. I'm thankful that Matt Reagan came all the way from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, Matt has served there uh, and in that region and done more than two decades in youth ministry and youth service and all that kind of good stuff and works for a little church called the Southeast Christian Church. <laughs> Southeast Christian, for those of you who know, I asked Matt, you know, what, what's, how many people are, are meeting at Southeast Christian? He said, well, on the various campuses, about 27,000, uh, which just blows my mind being from California where if a church gets to 300, we're having a party and firing Roman candles off. So, uh, uh, but what I love about Matt is not that he works for a really, really big church, but I love his heart for youth ministry, his desire and focus on discipleship, and his humility. I just really appreciate that. Uh, that it, man, it, That's why I don't work there. If God ever let me work at a church that big, I couldn't get my head through the room. But Matt is really all about loving teens. He has worked with and led a staff of, of uh, youth ministers as well as served as one, is now transitioning in and going to be doing some more teaching and, and preaching uh, at that congregation in the future, it seems. But I'm thankful that he chose to be with us today for this, the first part of kind of a two-parter, and he's going to come back at uh, 3.15 at 3.15 to, to, to grab the second part. At 2 o'clock in here, Eric Epperson with Christ in Youth is going to be giving what I know will be an off-the-chain presentation. Uh, we had him at a youth ministry retreat that we did uh, last fall, and just, just fantastic stuff. So we're glad you're here for a great day. I want to bless Matt and then turn him loose. Thank you, God, that you let us work with your most precious creations. Uh, and as beautiful as the ocean is and as magnificent as the mountains are, Father, you said that above all, you created 
humans. And Father, the privilege to work with students humbles us. We have the best news in the world to share. Help us to share it in the best ways possible. And bless my brother, Matt, as he comes to share today. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Father, author, encourager, youth minister, Matt Reagan, would you make him welcome from Canada? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, good to be here. Uh, excited to spend some time with you. Um, student ministry matters to me like crazy, probably more than it ever has before. I have, uh, I don't know if you saw this picture. I'll do this real fast. I'll show you my, uh, my crew. That's my crew. And um, he's an inch taller than me, which is kind of freaking me out. Um, but that's my 16-year-old, my 13-year-old, my 9-year-old. I'm sorry, he's 11. Too many kids. Uh, that's my 9-year-old. And that's the best surprise of my life right there. Uh, we really did not know he was coming. So um, has blessed our life like you would not believe. And um, student ministry, it's funny. I did student ministry for all these years, but now I have the teenagers in my home. And the question is, does what we is what, is what we're doing working, and uh, my kids aren't perfect. I'm not going to go through that. Um, I'm going to give you a little context. I want to ask, I'm going to pull the room as soon as I do a little setup here, because I want to make sure that you walk away with, um, with what you need out of this. I don't want to, I'm a Socratic learning style guy, so um, we, we do, I take, um, lead a lot of trips to Israel as well for a lot of our staff and development and some people, and so one of the things that I uh, really care about is, are th- are we really discipling people? So um, context, let me do this over here and then I'm going to throw myself under the bus, I promise. Um, I do work at a big church um, and uh, that's not because, um, that's just because that's what got, I didn't want to go there. I'm just being honest. It was like, I called it the concrete and khakis church because uh, there's a lot of concrete buildings and everybody wore khakis and I wasn't sure what to do with that. I grew up in an inner city housing project, uh, cops in and out of my home. Um, and uh, barely made it through. My mom accepted Christ young, and um, a, a church basically raised me. I was a church rat because I wasn't safe at home. A lot of physical abuse, uh, a lot of other abuse uh, in and out of the home, and so uh, my family, uh, since I got to lead my dad, I say lead like we lead anybody, I got to lead my dad to Christ, um, most of my brothers except for one that's still in prison. Uh, one of my sisters that was a prostitute for a while is now following Jesus, which is pretty cool. And one of my sisters uh, that is, uh, was married to her fifth millionaire husband is in the process of following Jesus. She's in, Col- in Colorado right now. Why do I say that? Because we're all broken, right? Let me just throw that out. So discipleship in a broken generation. I want to talk about disciple making, but I don't want to talk about it in the context of numbers and bigness. I want to talk about it the way Jesus would, which is always one at a time. Jesus had this unique one-at-a-time way of loving people, shepherding people, discipling people. So what I'm going to do in the first uh, set is I'm going to talk about what does. I'm going to be as simple as I can. I think um, I'm all, I always want to just go to Jesus. He's a deep well. And so anytime you go there, you're going to, you're going to have, I always say you're digging a well. How, how deep you dig the well will be dependent on how many people will be able to live out of that well. I want a lot of people to live out of the well, so I'm just going to dig deep. We're going to dig deep into Jesus question is for the first one i'm going to talk about the character and priorities of jesus which is how you disciple a broken generation and then i'm going to spend the second half this afternoon talking about then what are the structures when church starts getting complex when it gets big enough you got to figure out what to do with who and where and why and volunteers and parents and all that kind of stuff that i'm going to probably more reserve for the second one so the first one i'm going to get kind of around the character and priorities if you only were going to disciple one what would you do and i would say most of us I'll just say, probably not you. North American Christians um, have missed the boat on how to disciple, just being honest, because we were raised in churches. We know a lot about church and, and not a ton about Jesus. 
in his life and how he discipled others. So I just want to unpack that in a way, and then I'm going to kind of dig and get your brains on that. Um, and I'm excited to do it. I'm a fast talker, so please raise your hand if you need it. I'm a nerd. If you, if you take me down a rabbit hole, somebody else is going to have to pull us out. Um, but I, lo- I love study. I love church history. Um, and I love Jesus. I really do. He saved my life. Um, I can get emotional right now. He saved my life, everybody. And I love him, and I want everybody to know him. And so uh, I want to talk about discipleship in a broken generation. I can lean us into some principles. I'm going to give us a little time at the end to do that, but I'm going to frame it. So let me do this. Let me take like five hands of what you want. I just framed out. We're going to talk about the character and priorities of Jesus in terms of disciple making. And then we're going to talk about how, when it starts getting complex, when do you do what you do? And I'm going to get kind of five keys to doing that later. What are some things you want to walk away from in this that you're like, I came because this is really what I wanted to walk away with. This is what I've kind of had a heart for, and I'm not exactly sure. I feel like the Lord's kind of lining up these, these things, but I, I just would love to hear a little bit more. Just raise your hand and hop in. And it's a small group. We can, we can do this easy. So what do you got? Questions, thoughts coming in? Yeah. choosing to say because some of us were pretty broken yeah but brokenness is different right and so we got to navigate that yeah discipling students that yeah. aren't being discipled yep yeah which is feels like all right <laughs> feels like all we're a very journey kind of true but why else do you remember because the church exploded day you know day of pentecost um you've got over three thousand believers then you're gonna have five thousand believers they all go back home and somebody's like, shouldn't somebody probably go make sure they're doing okay? Paul and Barnabas. Not Peter. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas wants you guys to go do this, this work. So if their mind was, therefore, go and go somewhere, why is it that all of them are locked down, living their lives where they are? That's interesting, at least. So um, a lot of people thought the, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be nerdy, but it's, you know, um, some of you know this, a lot of smarter people than I am in the room. Um, but the primary, you know, you, in Greek, it's, it's written beautifully because you know what the primary action verb of the text is. You know that. And so in the sentence, a lot of people say, um, if I had to ask you which verb is the, is the most important one, most people would say, well, it's got to be go. Um, but that's not it. The primary, the active verb of the text is not go. It's not, um, you know, we're, we're from the same church heritage. It's not baptizing. That'd be great. Um, and it's not teaching. And there's actually another verb here. The primary verb of the text, again, sorry to be nerdy. Is, um, is make disciples. Uh, that's the primary verb. Jesus, when he said it, they all knew, we know what you're talking about. It's to make disciples. And he's got a couple of things uh, he's going to say, and this is how you do it. He gives them a prescriptive way to do it. He says, first of all, you're going to baptize them uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And baptism is both water. Believe that. I'm all in on that. And it's also giving people their new identity. Giving people their identity in Christ. That's what Jesus found when he went under the waters. He came up and the Father said, you are my son, what? whom I love and well pleased. That's your identity. I'll go live out of that. Three transitions in the Jordan. Remember what they are. What are they? They always start from something that's good and it ends up more powerful. You've got Moses to Joshua. You've got who? I'm engaging your brains. You're, not, you're, you're just going to sit here and soak. I'm not going to let you. Come on. Who else you got? John the Baptist and Jesus. Who else? Elisha, Elijah and Elisha. Remember that? Every time Moses led with a shepherd's rod, Joshua lead with a what? 
with a spear. He's going to take territory. Moses gives identity to people. Joshua's actually going to go live that out and walk into the promise. Elijah uh, was awesome, brought down a fire on the mountains. But what's true about Elisha? Double portion. It's going to be what? More personal. Look at Elisha's uh, miracles. They're the least impressive list compared to Elijah's off the chart. And yet, um, God said he gave him a double portion of his spirit. That's interesting. That God thinks that more intimate is more powerful. Interesting. Uh, and then the last one is John the Baptist to Jesus. John the Baptist is, is the Billy Graham of the day. Jesus is a nobody at this time. And he's going to transition. When you get your identity, um, you can finally walk into who you are. So baptizing them in the name of the Father, uh, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then it says teaching them to obey everything I'm can. It doesn't just say teaching them, right? Because, uh, and I, I'm going somewhere. Um, it doesn't just say teaching because we think teaching fixes everything. Um, but what's it say? Teaching them to what? Obey. That's hard, right? Yeah. Teaching people to obey is different than teaching people. If you just teach people and you don't teach with the aim of pe- helping you obey, which I, you know, we always say obedience is rocket fuel of the kingdom, right? Um, like what would happen in your life if disobedience wasn't a part of it? Who would you be? What would you have done by now? How, you know, what, what would uh, a, a total lack of insecurity have led you to? What would a total lack of disobedience led you? It's, you know, dis- obedience is the rocket fuel of the kingdom. We believe that. Uh, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And then the last verb, you guys know this? Um, this one, uh, King James people? Any King James people? No King James? Well, wow. They've all died off. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? Um, or, um, but the Greek word is adu. Do you know that? Because this is so gold. Why am I telling you this? Because this is what you need to tell your volunteers. Um, because all of them are stepping into, or maybe that's you right now. You're stepping into a thing where we got to be really clear what you're called to, and I'm going to get to that. You're going to have to give them an identity, and you're going to have to teach them how to obey. And the question is, how in the world are you possibly going to do that? And he's going to say, and lo, adu means um, behold uh, is the way, uh, and lo or behold is the way it's and you means look me in the eyes. Did you know that? It means like look at me here. So he says this. So primary thing, he says, look at me, look at me. And I just want to encourage you, for those of you that really want to create a movement of disciple making, um, wherever you are, you're going to have to get the eyes of people and say, look, I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to seem impossible. But look at me. Um, <coughs> I'm telling you. And Jesus does this to the last crew last time. Behold. And this is... Um, I always read this, and I didn't, it, surely I'm with you uh, uh, to the very end of the age. You know the literal translation for this is gold. Write this down, please, and share it with everybody. You know what it is? Anybody? It says, look at me. I will be with you the whole of every moment. Isn't that good? Yeah. Oh, that's good. So, uh, first of all, Jesus asked them to do it. Second of all, he's given us prescription. We've got to give them their identity. Uh, we also have to um, walk them into deep obedience. Um, and he's going to be with us the whole of every moment. So question is, then how do we, how do, we do that? And what do we make disciples with? I'm going to watch our time because I, I really want to get to you guys talking. Slow me down. I know I talk fast. I'm really sorry. I'm used to being around college-age students, and, and if you don't, you completely lose them. So whoever claims to live in him uh, must leave, uh, live as Jesus did, 1 John 2.6. Um, I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, one of my uh, mentors and close friends, he's like my older brother, is a guy named Dan Spader. Has anybody ever heard of Dan Spader? A couple of you. Um, he's a he's a global uh, international guy. Um, I won't go into him, but uh, he's my hero. Just love him. Uh, they're in about 126 countries. I was I'll throw out. I was in Israel with him with uh, 
183 people from 53 different countries, um, and uh, we spent time, a third of the group couldn't take pictures because they're in closed countries. Mm -hmm. By the time we got home, 20 of them had already been killed for their faith um, within two weeks of us being on that trip. That's the kind of group. So this disciple-making thing, it's actually not just working in our culture, it's working around the world, but this is, this is we all kind of have the same DNA, which is a beautiful thing about Jesus. Um, whoever claims to live in him must... Uh, must uh, live as Jesus did. Another translation, if you go in the old, must walk as Jesus walked. And so I want to dig into how do we make disciples? Um, question is, are we making disciples? Uh, Jesus asked us to, to he's, I want to say that's the primary command that he gave his followers. So the question is not just how, but I just want to make sure we're absolutely, like, absolute clear with us here. Um, He's saying, so it seems natural to say then, uh, so here's the deal. If, if we're going to make disciples, uh, question is, what are we making disciples of? <coughs> Very simple what? Paul would say what? Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Peter would say, 1 Peter 2, basically the same thing. He says, listen, we're, we're all following Christ here. That's the point. That's who we're making disciples of. Um, and so we've got to make disciples, and we're doing of Jesus. So we know it's the command, and we know who we're supposed to make disciples of. So the question is, let me line this up. Um, trees and fruit, are we seen? Um, how do you see? How do you, how do you get to the kind of fruit? Fruit is, I love it when uh, Jesus says, and I think this is a universal kingdom principle, every good tree bears good what? Fruit. You know... If, if, if there's a disciple-making person, let me go to the one, there's a disciple-making person who has a heart who's walking, talking like Jesus, then what can I, what can I tell you about what's going to be around them? It's going to be good fruit. What's John 15 says, say? Fruit that lasts. As a matter of fact, he goes on, I don't remember if you remember John 15, but he goes from there being no fruit to fruit to much fruit, and then he goes fruit that lasts. And he walks them, and you remember, that's him when he's up, he's been up, he just taught in the last evening. I'm sorry, I'm nerdy, please let me down. He's, he's up in the upper room, he just got done teaching them, he just got done saying, I'm going to the cross, heading down to the garden, has them with him. He's walking through the valley, he walks across the vineyard apparently, and starts teaching them, uh, hey, listen to me, John 14. Um, guys, listen, if you love me, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we love me, then you're going to obey me. Again, obedience is the rocket fuel of the kingdom. You're going to obey me. Obey me in what? You're going to do what I'm asking you to do. What are you asking you to do to make disciples? Anyways, so he's going to say, John 15, um, hey, listen, uh, if, if, if you abide in me and I in you, you're going to do what? Bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Then he's going to go on. He says, John 16, it's like, that's all 1, 14 through 16. It's that walk from the upper room down into the garden of Gethsemane. John 16, he says, it's better for you that I leave because if I leave what? I'm going, to give you the, I'm going to give you a helper. Uh, the word is a, another counselor. It's one of the exact same kind. I'm going to give you, I've been discipling you. I'm going to give you someone to disciple you. His name is the Holy Spirit. He's going to work in the context of community, spirit-led community, to disciple you in the way of Jesus. I mean, we're going to help you all be like Jesus. The question is, um, how do you get um, good fruit? You have to have a good tree. You have to have a good tree. You have to have someone who abides. You have to have somebody who, and I'm going to walk through a little bit of what that is. Um, I, I, I want to throw some things. I got to, go, I got to get, uh, I'm such an equipper, and I want to do this in like five hours, and so I don't have that time. Let me just say this. Um, I want to disciple, like, with, with I, I want to make disciples with my life. Um, the greatest joy in my life, um, as you guys know, is to see our kids doing what? Following Jesus. Following Jesus, walking in the truth. 
becoming who they're meant to be. When my, my son right now, and he is a knucklehead at the core. Uh, but my, my knucklehead sophomore boy has led about 12 of his friends to Christ. Two of them are walking through gender stuff. We've got, we've got messy stuff. I'm getting FaceTimes. Do you guys, anybody else have uh, kids FaceTime you with hard conversations? I'm like, can we just talk on the phone? This is weird. Um, but my, my son will get them to a certain point and helping them with, with pornography because every single kid over seventh grade is on it, especially pastor's kids. Just throwing that out there. Um, I'm sure, maybe not you, but... Um, Ariel has seen it. doesn't mean they're walking in it. And uh, I think, anyways, um, sitting there on FaceTime with their friends, walking them through, walking them out of shame, walking them. So here's the thing. We're doing this one at a time. We're doing disciple making. I want to do that with my life. Question is, um, we want to talk about discipling a broken generation. I want to I do something that's, that was a really hard conversation for me. And maybe you don't need this in the room, but I'm going to just give it for, for everybody else. I'm going to ask you, um, do, are you a good tree? And let me just ask you, what does that look like? So before you say that, uh, answer that, I think good tree, fair, good fruit. Um, I'm going to skip past that one because I don't think we have that time for that. That's all right. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you, uh, what does a good tree look like? So we're going to walk through a couple foundational principles of Jesus that, was, that I think were like the foundational things that he taught his disciples. Again, we'll get into the model of church in the second part, like how to multiply it and how to, how to do kind of what you're talking about, how to oversee a movement is kind of what I'm thinking. Um, but what are the nuts and bolts? If I, if I was going to sit down, if I'm going to sit down with a broken kid, if I'm going to sit down with a broken 50-year-old, if I'm being honest, if I'm going to sit down with my son, if I'm going to spend time, and I only have time is a commodity. We all know that. We don't have much of it, and we're all distracted. What will I spend my time doing with people to help them best walk with Jesus and not have it be so complicated that I never really know what I'm doing? And how at the end do I make sure that I'm always pointing them back to the life of Christ? I want to give a little bit of a pattern for this. If you've never seen this, this has been so good for me. And that is Holy Spirit power. Um, it's, it's an acronym. So that's, that I'm going to unpack that. So just uh, you'll see. So number one, uh, the Holy Spirit um, I'm going to submit that um, John 14 through 16 would say that the exact same, Jesus came to, this, you know, he came to do a couple things. Uh, he says, I've finished the work before he goes to the cross. He said, I've finished the work that you called me to do. He didn't say that after the cross, before the cross. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, what was the work that God sent him to do if it wasn't the cross? He, he, he's, he is invested. If you remember Luke 9, he sends out, the 12, uh, Luke 10, he sends out the 70. The first 12 come back, and there's a bunch of failures. He sends out the 70. He doesn't even go with them. The 70 come back. It says, and Jesus, the only time in Scripture, was anointed with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You remember that passage? Because he watched his disciples for the very first time come back, and they cast out demons. They healed. They preached the kingdom of God everywhere they went. And Jesus, the only moment in Scripture, we should pay attention to that. He said he was, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit came on him, and he just had the kind of joy that is unexplainable in that moment. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because his disciples what? They got it. They finally got it. Now, they get it indefinitely? No. But none of us do. None of us do. But they were ready. The, the movement was ready. Now he was headed to lay down his life and he was resurrected so that they could have authority and they could have a power. Uh, yeah? What scripture was that again? Oh, sorry. That's Luke 9 is the, is the 12, the sending of the 12. Luke 10 is the sending of the 70. And they're chronological. Luke, Luke's chronological. Mark's chronological. I think you know that. So I don't want to offend anybody because I know you're all smarter than me. That's cool. Um, so Holy Spirit. So I started thinking. Uh, so here's the reality. If... 
the Holy Spirit was to be to if if the Holy Spirit was to be the disciples, what Jesus was to be the disciples. What does that relationship look like? Give me some give me some examples. What was Jesus to the disciples? Rabbi. He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's a friend. He was a mentor. I'd even go so far as to say best friend. Right? Like, do you have a better friend than that? I don't think so. And so Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. Question, if we're discipling people and we're not teaching them to have a rich friendship with the Holy Spirit, are we teaching them to walk like Jesus? I don't know that we are. Now, how many of you, like me, our churches are freaked out by the Holy Spirit because of everything that's going on around the country, so nobody knows what to talk about it? <laughs> Anybody? Oh, we're the only ones? You bunch of liars. <laughs> so, can I, can, I, can I be your friend right now? So dig in and just, just take how Jesus interacted with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever done that study? Oh, disciple-making friends. Game changer. When you dig in the life of Christ and watch how many times... He performed miracles by the power of the Spirit. He, I mean, the things that every time you do, just do a word study and attach Jesus and the Holy Spirit and watch their relationship. Game changer. Question. And, and again, I said, do your disciples, I'm going to start calling people your disciples, even though I know. It's like me saying I, I led some of Christ. I was there. Your disciples, you're there. The Holy Spirit's using you. It's great. You're not that awesome. But your disciples, the people that are in your life, question. Do you um, regularly model for them your rich friendship with the Holy Spirit? Have you ever talked about that? Have you, have you, have you dug into that to the point where you go, man, I, I wake up, this is a game changer for me. Wake up in the, whole, in the morning and just say, you know, Holy Spirit, Jesus gave you to be my best friend today. What do you have to teach me? Because the, the early disciples, what they say when they had a decision, it seemed good to who? The Holy Spirit and to us. Isn't that interesting? It's like he's in the room. Is the Holy Spirit in the room with you? Yeah. Or have we put him locked up in something because we're, not, we're afraid of that church and that church? Yeah. And we don't want to be them or them. Sweet. Let's just be like Jesus. Let's just do a study. Let's do that. And so uh, friendship and submission. And, uh, do, are we teaching them how to lean into the role of the Holy Spirit? Uh, next one is this. I don't want to go into that too much. <laughs> I'm so chatty. Um, uh, prayer. Um, I know this is going to sound crazy, um, but, but question, do, do your disciples know how to pray? Do the kids around you know how to pray? And I'm just going to be real honest because we're in a lot of churches, a lot of people. I am around pastors all the time. I've got 86, uh, pa- uh, 86 staff members on our staff under 30. Isn't that scary? That should be scary. Um, we have, and I, and I don't say this because it's not like I lead all of them and, and I don't mean that, but we've got, but, I, but I'm a um, part of helping shape culture and helping people follow Jesus. That's my thing. I want to activate and inspire people uh, to pursue Jesus with their lives. That's my, that's my goal in life. Um, and so here's the deal. Um, 500 employees on our staff. No joke. Question. How many of them have a rich prayer life? Probably four. It's kind of sad. It's kind of sad, y'all. And the reason is because um, we don't model it in our gatherings. And even when we model in our gather, gatherings, it's not relational. Do you guys remember what the disciples act, asked Jesus? It's one of the only things they asked him. They said, teach us how to what? Preach? Now it's prayer. Anybody else recognize he had been praying the whole time and they just didn't know that's what that was? <laughs> 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 he's just stopping the middle and he's just going, you know, Father, 
you're so good, I can't believe that you did that. And they're like, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. That's not, your eyes weren't closed, your hands weren't, you weren't in the temple, it doesn't count. He's like, okay. So prayer, are we modeling prayer? Question I just want to, I just want to have for you, because all of this, good trees bear good fruit, people in the room. I can tell you if you are, I'm just telling you, if you're walking with Jesus in this way, and I'll get to the end, you will bear fruit. I promise. It's a, it's a if then. And so question is, are you experiencing rich intimacy with the Father? And are you regularly walking in partnership with what he wants to do because you have a prayer life with him and you know how to speak to him and receive from him? And the room says what? I'm sure you all have it nailed. Right? Um, when I saw that, I, when I saw that, I said, uh, Lord, I literally got on my knees. Not the moment. It was like a week into the study. And I said, you know, what? I know how to talk to you, but, but I've never pursued this like this is my life. Like, like, like it matters. Um, you know how many pastors now I talk to, how many business guys I talk to, how many inmates that I talk to, that they have these major decisions. They've been making them for years, getting godly wisdom, and nobody's ever taught them how to fast and pray. Where did fasting go? Anybody? Where did it go? Is there a more biblical, um, pronounced, repeated thing in Scripture when it comes to prayer? Man, I go to African churches. My African brother says, man, they, 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 they like, you know, we've been fasting for 50 days. How you been? I'm like, I don't even love Jesus. <laughs> I love, I love the, the, the beautiful bride that's collective because they always teach us little parts because each of them have their little thing. But uh, we got to grow in intimacy and, and partnership. And if it's good in the tree, it'll be good in the fruit. It's just the way it works, y'all. Uh, next one is obedience, uh, surrender and faith. And so um, a lot of people don't know how to obey. You know that, right? They don't know how to obey. But let me just say this. Telling people to obey is not the same as teaching them to obey. Does that make sense? Let me explain it like this. Um, I have been recently sitting down with more 55-year-old men addicted to porn than I ever have in my life. They never struggled with it before. But now they're struggling with it before. And I liken it to this. It's like, have you ever, have you ever, uh, anybody met, a, anybody know a meth addict? How many of you know a meth addict? Or a, a heroin addict? Heroin addict. I'm just going to throw addict in there. You need to know more addicts. Jesus knew addicts, but I just want to say that. Um, so if, you, if you're with an addict and you ask him how it started, do you know how it usually starts? With a, it starts with a friend or relationship. Or it starts with an accident. It starts, it starts with a simple thing that it had, it had a root to it, right? Like um, I just uh, sat down with somebody who um, had a car accident. Car accident led them to hydrocodone. Hydrocodone led them to heroin. And it was a jump. They got addicted to the thing that was supposed to help them. They didn't see it coming. By the time that we're dealing with it, you're, not, you're dealing with the addiction. It's something that's deeply. Telling someone to obey is not teaching that person how to walk out of what they're in. Um, convenience says, I want to tell you how to get out. Love says, I want to help you get out. When you teach people to obey, think of the way that a rabbi works. It's not just talk to you. It's, dig, it's hop in the ditch with you. And one of the, one of the you, you know, um, how am I in my house going to make disciples of, of some boys that need to obey? Um, being honest, the more, uh, we have two types of people in my house all the time. I hope this is true in your ministry. We have the best and the worst. Anybody else like that? We have like superhuman people that my kids can like be their heroes because they've like, 
decided to come out of this and decided to come out of this. And they're just like, you, you hop in the kingdom and you get the fruit of the kingdom. The fruit of the kingdom is you get these amazing people that you get to raise your kids around. And we get the most per- broken person on the planet that can't put two plus two together and um, have, and I don't want to judge, but um, I'll, I'll just tell you a couple people. One, one I don't want to, people that have multiple kids, multiple spouses, have a lot of addiction, uh, sexual, uh, you name it, that, that's, that's this end. My kids, you want to make disciples, all you have to do, you start, you start dig, hopping in the ditch with people and helping them obey. It's funny, the people around you will start saying, if I can choose that or that, which one am I going to choose? Um, but sometimes when we play the middle, they don't know that that's the choice. Does that make sense? Um, when, I started, when I started having kids and I started pulling them away and trying to get them from all those uh, influences um, in small groups, I do this with adults too. Uh, one of the best things I can do is get uh, adults and get, um, and get students around broken people in, an, in a controlled environment. And that is my life. I'm the controlled environment. The more I dig in trees and fruit, the more I'm digging in helping people really um, uh, figure out how to surrender and take faith even when they think that they can't, the, the better that is. And so that means that we don't just tell kids not to uh, look at porn. We come up with actual solutions that will help them navigate their porn addictions. But be real about it. Be genuine about it. And come up, like help, help them. Get in the ditch. Help them. We can get practical in a minute if, we, if you want to do that. Um, let's keep going because I want to stay high flying just for a minute. Um, the word. I think you guys know that. Um, this is strong in our movement. That's one of the things I love. Um, and our movement's a little different, but it's got the same roots. Um, but the word is identity, and, and, and it, you know, it's who we are and the promises that he's made to us. It's about his character and who we are and who he is. That's as simple as I can get it. And the question is, um, I'm watching a lot of discipling and a lot of, um, and you guys see this too, and, and I'm sure you're way past this, a lot of character building, a lot of character training. FCA has moved from having, um, which I, I totally get that. I'm not bagging on it, but I, we're into character coaching. We're coaching people with the character of Jesus, but not really teaching people the word. Interesting that most movements um, that have ever existed on the planet came from a deep understanding of what the word says. Um, the question is, I just want to say, are your kids, are the people in your life, and I'm just going to be honest, are you regularly Psalm 1 planted in streams of living water and you just have a love for the word. I just want to say, if you're in this room still, I meet 65-year-olds that are former deacons, blah, 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 and they come and they say, I've never really had a passion for reading the word. Can you help? It's just never been my thing. And it's because they were trying somebody's thing. They're trying this person's journal technique or they're trying, and they didn't realize, man, this is a journey. You got to figure out how to fall in love with the word. It's not try it once and it fits. Like this is a journey. Let's go on that journey together. I want you to know the word. I want to help you, you know, rightly understand and dig into the word. And so I'm just, um, I'm just, I'm going to be honest. Uh, We're going to talk about how to multiply ministries later, but I'm just being honest. Um, the amount of pastors that I meet that don't really know the word, it kind of, it just hurts my soul a little bit. They've got great sermons, but do they love the word, man? You know, like, like know it and it just speaks to them. You know, Zechariah, um, the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue uh, to know the words that sustain the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. That should sing to us in the morning. You know, Jeremiah 12, 5 and 6, when we're, when we're frustrated, it feels like ministry and life's bringing us down. Uh, and, and God says to Jeremiah, after he's, he's had attempts on his life time and time and time again, and we think we have it rough. 
He's been thrown in pits. He's almost been murdered. I think it's over 40 times. They call him the wailing prophet or the weeping prophet. Well, somebody try to kill you 40 times and see if you cry about it a little bit. He's whining in chapter 12. And, and, and the father comes to him and says, Jeremiah, if you, have, if you have raced with men on foot and they've worn you out, how can you compete? How do you expect to compete with horses? If you've stumbled on a safe country, how do you expect to manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Jeremiah, I've got so much more for you. Um, than what you have. And so the word, the word, I don't have to tell you, I'm sure you all know, but the word is supposed to be the backbone. And again, if, if, if we're going to build disciples of Jesus, who knew the word better than Jesus? He was the word. <laughs> he was it. And he just quoted it like it was breathing. And it wasn't because, like sometimes we have people that quote it and they sound like mechanical and unloving, but that's not my Jesus. That's not my Jesus. My Jesus, when he was when he was in the wilderness and being tempted by Satan, it's just it's just what popped out of him. You know what's in a person when you press them, right? When life presses you and, and the word doesn't pop out, then I just encourage you: the word may not be where you think it is. And so, if you want to create a movement of multiplying disciples and you're not passionate about the word, what do we know about trees and fruit? You multiply what? What you are. If, if, if you want a great dynamic movement of, of God, but you're, you're not rooted in prayer and rooted in the word. And I know every Christian says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but are we really? And uh, exalting. I, I chose exalting, A, because it fits. See what we're doing here. <laughs> um, the, the second reason is because um, worship sound, it makes kids think about what? Church and songs. But that's not... That's, that's like this in worship, right? And so um, my, my uh, the thing, the words that I like for this is, are you consistently aware of what God does? Because when you're aware of what God does, what do you do? Here's what I do. I just go, wow, God, you're so good, man. Who's like you? Why do you treat me that way? Why are you so kind? How could you show up like that? I was, I was uh, uh, two, uh, last Tuesday, um, I, I just was praying, uh, and I had this passion for the, uh, uh, well, I just felt like the Lord was, I was a little rustly, and, and I said, Lord, what's in your heart today? And, and I just felt like he was like, I, you know, um, man, I want you to talk to your neighbor, Mike. Mike is my next door neighbor. We've only lived there a year and a half. I've seen Mike two times. He doesn't like people, come to find out. And my neighbors are like, you're not going to know Mike. Uh, he's a former Marine. He just doesn't come out. He doesn't talk. I'm praying, and I just said, Lord, well, that's great, Lord, but I don't ever see, I don't ever see Mike. I've seen the brother twice, and I'm pretty sure he didn't want to see me. And so um, I said, what do you think? And I just felt like he was saying, well, uh, you know, Matt, uh, I, you know, I, I started thinking, okay, he's military. He's kind of like my dad. My dad's a former Special Forces Vietnam vet. Long story. So I'm like, well, how do I get this guy in my house? Or how do I? And I was like, I, I need to fix something. The Lord just clearly says to me, and I, I don't want to put it in the box, but I hope he speaks to you like this. And we're not in like shiny gold dust and feathers, but it's just like, that's just what he does. It's what he promised. And so he just said, you know, why don't you ask him for help? And I was like, I, I, maybe I'm crazy, but I'm driving home. I tell the kids. Um, they're like, my oldest goes, Dad, we don't even know that dude. Like, how are you going to? I'm like, I don't know. We drive in, swear, Grubhub, um, delivering Taco Bell to my neighbors. Why you have, anyways, that's a whole <laughs> different mystery to me. It's a bigger mystery to me. Delivering Taco Bell. Um, they're stopped. I'm not even thinking. We pull up our minivan, packed full of kids that I just told the story about my prayer in the morning. Guess who walks out to the end of the driveway to take a walk for the very first time I've ever seen? I've been in a year and a half. Mike, his wife, and his kids. They just walk out to the driveway. And I was like, rolled down my window, kind of freaked out. 
hey, buddy, it's so nice of you to come out here and greet us like this. He's like, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, oh, man. And uh, as clearly as the Lord said, you know, I just said, uh, hey, hey, Mike, I know it's going to sound crazy, and I don't really know you, but, man, I think I, I, think I could really use your help. Mike goes, hey, so, so how can I come drive to my window, put his arms on windows, talking, like invading my personal space? <laughs> and I'm like, who is this guy? And he's going to help me do this thing with a pond that I have. Now, what do I do when I see God show up? <coughs> Literally, I'm in tears. My family's in tears pulling the driveway. We're like, God, who are you? Like, why do you do this stuff with us all the time? We've watched so many people come to Christ in our everyday lives, crying on our couches, coming out of nowhere. And every time, we just want to worship you. We just want to respond to you. God, you're so faithful. You're so good. Question, how often in your day do you find yourself responding to God's goodness? I just want to tell you, that was a root, a core of Jesus. If it's not a core of us, we're not making disciples of Jesus. That's just who he was. I'm just trying to get to the core of his character. And then the last one, and um, uh, relationships of love and intentionality. Everything that uh, Jesus did was intentionally and relationally. Mm -hmm. Everything. And um, he was so good at loving people. He was so good at who? Lost people, came to seek and save the lost, and discipling. And he's always intentional. In, a, in the next session, I'll break through his three and a half year ministry and how much more intentional he got with his disciples. The longer he went with them, the more intentional that he got with them. And we've got to reproduce this pattern. But these relationships of love and intentionality, um, if it, I, and I just, I, I want to, it is going to be very hard for us in this church environment to make disciples of kids if we aren't leading people to Christ in our everyday lives. Y'all, 80% stat of people that step in the pulpit for the, for the very first time have never personally led someone to Jesus. Does that seem weird to anybody? They know how to preach, but they don't know how to be a friend of sinners? Could you say that again? 80% of people, this is a stat that's been around for a long time. I hope it's better. I don't think it is. 80% of, of people that are stepping into pulpit ministry have never led someone personally in their everyday life to Christ. So I'll back the train up. Nine years ago, I stepped into a leadership thing in, at our church, and we've got all of our top, our top ministry people, 30 at the time. We, were, we, we had like three campuses, I think, at the time. Packed in there, some of my favorite people. Asked the question, and I expected a different answer. How many of you then were teaching this? How many of you have led someone to Christ in your everyday life in the last year? Three hands out of 30, I think it was like 36. I went, three years, a couple more hands. Five years, a couple more hands. Y'all, we might want to stop for a second. Like, good trees produce what? So, we want to teach people how to be disciples we're going to reproduce what we are, but we're not leading people to Jesus in our everyday lives. And so but people are like, I don't know how. I don't. Okay, then let's just go back and let's, how did Jesus do it? And how can we get better at it? Fast forward now, it's just being honest, over nine years, if you ask most of our staff, we dug into Jesus' life pretty deep. I'd say most, probably 80% of our staff has seen somebody come to faith in their everyday life without being weird. Um, some of them are weird, but it's <laughs> just like, um, and they've been watching people come to Christ in everyday lives. Now, interesting fact, when we started, 
having, I'm going to tell you, when we started having our staff, when we started really challenging our volunteers, when we started challenging our leadership kids, um, that, look, we're not, we're not asking you to build some mysterious rocket ship to fly to Mars. We're asking you, can you walk like Jesus? And will you faithfully, there's what, there's six things here. Will you dive into these six things and make them a priority in your life? And we'll help you. And we started watching stuff that's just rocked our world. And that's my end and I'm ready for questions. <laughs> is, that, is that helpful? Is that helpful? Yeah. Is it possible, and I don't mean to make an exit right from what you just said, because I think it's important, but yeah. um, that the question could be somebody you're leading and walking alongside. Type? Yes. Because we got to be okay with sometimes not being able to see where I've worked on this thing for five years. Comes back this first year of college, it's like, <coughs> you know? Yeah. And it was just like, I mean, it was ringing my neck. Yep. Just like, why are you not seeing like what I want to give to you? Because I've come to this youth group, I've been in this area. Oh, dude. And then he came back, and it was just like an awake. I was like, yes, this is great. And that was because of me, because a lot of stuff that, you know, we had started. So maybe. Yeah. Your class two for me. Walking across. Your class two for me, and the reason is because I, I couldn't do it all in one. So I want to give the aim of this is, I think, is simple. There's, this is, there's so many nuances to this. And I know this doesn't, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But if I'm going to aim at a target, if I'm going to raise my boys um, and my daughter to love and pursue Jesus, I'm going to make it simple and I'm going to help them. Next question is, then how do you help people along the way? Uh, the next class is going to be written around the four, is wrapped around the four challenges of Jesus. And how do you identify where they are? Because Jesus, there, there is come and see, follow me. Follow me, I'll make you. And then at the very end, three years, he says, if you come after me, you're going to have to what? Take up your cross and die. He doesn't ask them at the beginning, but there's a process in disciple making. That's what I'm going to cover in the next one. I hope. If you're not here, send me an email. Okay. <laughs> um, but literally, that, that process. Now, if this is the aim in following Jesus, um, and, and I just couldn't do it in an hour. I hope that's okay. The next class is then, then how do we peep, help people move from unbelief to belief how do we get people from belief to deciding to be become a you know the 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 harvest is plentiful but the workers are few how do we raise up workers for the harvest field and then how do we get people to die themselves to live only for the cause of christ those are we call them the four chairs because it's like the four places we regularly find people in and then what are the barriers and how do we help people and how do we create ministries that will create movement around but again it's always about this it's always about how do we get people to walk like Jesus in the way that he gave us. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, sorry, I'm not answering no, the question. I, 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 was, I was wondering <laughs> yeah. how many hands would go up if you said, how many, you know, are you leading? Yeah. Rather than letting, you know, because you may never, you may never see it. And then people Absolutely. Yeah. People may feel bad. You see how I'm saying that? I don't I do. feel bad about themselves. But at the same time, yes, we have to expect that when we started along that path, you have to be intentional. Just say, what's the end goal? You're not just kind of just doing good activities in youth ministry and getting them there. Absolutely. It's about Jesus because, yep. I mean, you can have the greatest things in the world, but if it yep. isn't, it's not in his name, yep. you better, better not do it. Love it. Yeah, this Zen product. Yeah. The question is how do we get people there? Yeah. Yeah. And That's your it. next class? Uh, it's at 3.15. Yeah. So, questions, thoughts. What's one thing you want to walk out of here um, and not forget. That'll help me. Yeah. I really appreciated what you said about the that statistic as far as those who are in the pulpit ministry yeah. who have not had a 
conversion that haven't been involved in discipling yeah. a person. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we kind of we compartmentalize our lives into, yeah. well, my ministry is to the church. Yeah. And that's true. We yeah. minister to the congregations we work with. <coughs> but if we're not interacting with people outside of our congregation, we're, yeah. we're not creating disciples. <coughs> yeah. Just feeding disciples. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But we have to create disciples. Yeah. And, and this isn't, I, I want to, everybody can do this. Like, uh, we, just, we just brought 55 guys that are fresh. Uh, some of them are in a halfway house and some are out. We have this little place in the back behind the, we try to bring people in the back during, in between our services to just give them honor and to make sure that they feel like so, people that are really struggling poverty-wise, halfway houses. Uh, we've got a lot of women that have come out of the sex slave industry. That, so we just do anything we can to just say, hey, no, you belong here. No, we honor you. 55 of those guys, um, 40 of them are discipling somebody. Come on, man. Like these dudes, if they can disciple, and they're killing it. Our kids can disciple. We can disciple. we gotta, we got to stop lowering the bar so far. But, but base level, yes, you should be able to have a regular conversation with your dad. Base level, yeah, you need to have an active, thriving relationship with the Holy Spirit. Let me help you. Base level, you need to open the Word and know what it says base level like i'm not i'm not taking you to heights i'm not asking you to be you know G, you know walk like him um but but let's 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 get rolling here with some nuts and bolts that'll help you get there i, I really appreciate what you said about the double portion of elijah's spirit and yeah i think that's something that we've been talking with our kids about lately because um the stories that we teach them when they're young yeah are big god stories yeah um and the bottom line is we don't see god working like that oh man um, yeah. Right. He's not split the sea. He's not going to yeah. stop an earthquake for you. Um, but yeah. he is going to show up in the personal. And so we have to train our students yeah. to have the eyes to see where God is, that awareness. Yep. Um, because that's where he's working. Yeah. It's not usually in the big miracles we pray for. Yeah. It's, it, you know, sometimes yeah. there's miracles, but most of the time the people we pray for, they're not getting miraculously that. We, so we have to be able to see that. It's, it's, it's so game-changer. when we Because John the Baptist had a bigger public ministry than Jesus. But Jesus was deeply more personal. Right. Deeply more personal. Now we get more of the story because of the people that recorded it. But the to, at the time, John the Baptist is a way bigger deal than Jesus. That's why he'd say, he must, uh, I, we must de- I must decrease so he can increase. Yeah. Uh, probably be a, too much to delve into here. Yeah. But... I love this Holy Spirit power. Yeah. And, and what I struggle with is I always, when I'm discipling somebody, I'm always trying to get to baptism so we can talk about the Holy Spirit, but I don't think the Holy Spirit gets mentioned or emphasized enough. Yeah. How do you speed that along and, and process that along? Or is yeah. it just attention you try to, to deal with? Um, so... A couple things. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say something so that you. I uh, hope this is okay to say in here. But we just had we had a baptism weekend over Easter. I don't know if I should say that, but um, I want you to feel what I feel sometimes overwhelmed wise. Uh, we had 831 people get baptized two weekends ago. Was that Easter? Um, and for me, I'm like, does everybody mean it? <laughs> do we do we mean it? Do you mean it? Do you mean it? Do you mean it? Do you mean it? I want to know you mean it. And if you would have backed up the train uh, nine years ago. Um, when we would have done something like that, to be honest, I was back there and it felt like a cattle call and it hurt my heart a little bit. I'm just being honest. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Doesn't mean God's mad at it. I'm not. I'm not in that seat. 
but it did hurt my heart because I want to know, are you, are you equipped to now walk with Jesus? Um, and what happens is you start getting disciple makers everywhere in your, in your group. You start doing it. The people around you start doing it. The people who are coming to get baptized, you are, they're usually rooted. It used to be a long line of people. I used to ask them, who's with you today? Who's with you today? Just me, just me, just me, just me. And I'd be like, oh, you're a baby with no parent. Um, now, fast forward, now that we've become more of a disciple-making model, and we talk about it, and we talk about these things, and we make this the aim, and we, we don't just talk about the baptistry. We talk about it on the weekend. We talk about it in our equipping. We talk about it with our students. I was just on a Skype call or Zoom call with uh, all of our youth pastors, making sure that we're kind of our next stage that we're really rooting ourselves that because the Jesus model took over the world, by the way. We always think that one at a time, you just said speed it up. His one at a time strategy, but multiply, is how 18 years in, most of the known world had a believer in it. Well, it isn't what Darren Bader always says, go, go fast, you gotta go slow. You gotta go slow. Power multiplication will always outpace the power of addition, always, yeah. Um, like the obedience, because I think that's the big one, especially yeah. with our ministry. I know. Yeah. Um, I've had someone that, uh, brother, that I was just kind of mentoring, and he's like, "Hey, I just feel like God's calling me uh, to the military." Go. Yeah. I was like, "All right, you know, you go minister to them." And uh, just over the past year, I've seen him kind of get pulled in with them, and so it's yeah. his obedience is not. You know, they're just like, "Well, you're just like us now." And he's still like, "No, I'm, I'm reaching out to them." So, so to any. It, the people that are the hardest to obey, I, I'm i not trying to get them to obey all the way yet. Yeah. I'm trying to help them take the next step of obedience. Mm-hmm. And if I can get them into the mindset of taking the next step of obedience because I know it honors the Father, mm-hmm. and that that's going to be rocket fuel for their destiny, then they might take the next one, the next one, the next one. Mm-hmm. But if you just try to paint for them like this, and it's so funny because they think, you know, you know who, who is this, you know, white, you know, whatever dude, yeah. and... And I'm like, bro, I was raised, you don't know where I came from and how hard it's been to take the next step of obedience. Mm -hmm. But you put those together, and I'm I'm telling you, you don't worry about this. Worry about the next step of obedience. You get people focused on that, and I don't care who you are, business executive or this dude. Because the business exec needs it just as bad. And he can't obey because he's got too much stuff and too much rep. This guy can't because his environment tells him there's no way because, you know. Or his addictions will too. Next step of obedience is all is always how you for me, and that thing I, I can't I can't go. You need to be this 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 this. They go, I'm out, man. No, I can't. I I'm. No way. I want to help you take the next step of obedience because it will bless you in ways. And watch what God does when you do it. And they do, and they go, whoa, dude. I was totally gonna smoke weed, and I'm like, bro, you know. You know, weed's legal here, so never mind. I guess that's not a big deal. <laughs> it's not where I come from, so yeah. Uh, I originally come from Indonesia. Yeah. I've become a mentor for hundreds of young generations wow. since Praise 1990s. God. And, yeah. uh, I would like to be here because I, I when you uh, present something like you, like, and like me to do something here. Yeah. Uh, can I uh, make a Absolutely. Can I do this? And, and I really mean this. I, 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 I'm tied in actually to a bunch of Indonesians, by the way, and that would love to get you connected with them too. 
But um, my name is Matt Reagan. It's M. Reagan. Reagan like Ronald. He's a distant relative. Not enough to claim, but I kind of want to. Um, so M. Reagan at SECC.org. Literally, I have the best assistant on the planet. We're used to helping anybody and everybody. Um, we, we're, we're right now getting ready to release. We do everything, by the way. We do everything for free. Uh, I get paid. I don't, you know, like, anyways. Um, we just want to resource the church. Our church kind of has that. So we're getting ready to release. I just did eight videos in Israel around a lot of these things. And um, uh, my uh, best friend and teacher, or he's a senior pastor now, uh, Kyle Eidelman, uh, writes a lot of books around these things. And, um, and we just want to resource the church, like resource, resource, resource. And I'm the one that's always free. And so, and I steal it from every disciple maker I can get because the real disciple makers are the ones that are doing it in places. Um, that have a lot to teach us, and I just want to glean everything I can so we can be better. So we're past our time. M. Reagan, M. R. E. A. G. A. N. Reagan eighty four eighty eight. M. Reagan at it's Southeast Christian Church, so it's S. E. C. C. And I'm really sorry with class. I need to replace more. Yeah, and so. That'd be awesome. But hey, thanks for your time. Really sharp people in the room. I appreciate that. So uh, that's cool. So thanks. Appreciate it.